and we would, you know, provide regular maps for for different teams that were uh, who were trying to provide aid to bring that into Syria and let them know sort of what it looked like, you know. And this was all at the fully young class level, just sort of helping them out in order to to understand if they could provide aid to these areas and where they should be going in order to get there. Hi, and welcome to the One CA podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. And we're joined today by Mr. John Steed. He's the Director of Geospatial Services for Tesla Government. Since he came to Tesla in 2014, John has been the visionary and driving force behind Tesla's Geospatial Services Department. Under his direction, the department is focused on leveraging sophisticated solutions for a myriad of complex problems faced by their clients. He has a passion for being technically creative, solving real-world problems, and troubleshooting existing systems all in the context of supporting mission-driven results through geospatial solutions. John's diverse track record of international experience serves him well in understanding a wide range of client contexts and needs. His background includes collaborating with renewable energy nonprofits in the Andes, in Amazon of Peru, in Ecuador, managing UNHCR implementing partner organizations across West Africa, and assisting U.S. government agency collaboration efforts on behalf of international programs in the United States. When he's not in the office, he puts his skills to work um, at home to repair and custom renovation projects, which I'd love to hear more about, and satisfying his love of the outdoors by hiking, surfing, or freediving. He's also received degrees from University of California at Berkeley, uh, BA in Development Studies, and a master's degree in Sustainable International Development from Brandeis University. John, thank you very much for your time, and welcome to the One CA Podcast. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, we're going to go into some technical questions here, but uh, let me go back to that part of the bio. So uh, how you're putting your skills to work at home. Has this continued now during this pandemic? Are you doing a lot of home repair stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I live in a so I live in Maine and I live in a house that uh, was built in right around 1860, 1862. And the last owner of the house before I moved into it had basically the house had deferred maintenance for probably about 20 years. So <laughs> yeah. we put, we put a lot of work into this place and it's uh, it's, it's constant. I think just the other night I was down in the basement working on uh, insulating our rim joist. So it, it gets pretty cold here. So, you know, if you have a cold basement, the, the rest of your house gets cold. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I actually did, uh, I did renovations and remodels, uh, particularly bathroom remodels and uh, decks when I was in college. So that's, that's how I, I paid my way through college. Right on. Well, we want to um, talk today about your work at Tesla and how it relates to civil affairs forces. I want to set the stage for the listeners by asking uh, first question of how long Tesla government has been supporting the SIA community. Great. Thank you. Um, so I, I do want to caveat something really quickly. So my background is in international development and humanitarian aid, as, as you, you talked about uh, previously. So you know, I currently work with civil affairs teams in my work, but my, my background is non-military. So the this has been the first time working with DOD at Tesla. So some of the, the words and the nomenclature, you know, is a little unfamiliar to me. But, um, but to answer your question, Tesla has been working uh, sort of in different topical areas to improve coordination between different teams since about 2009. We've been working with civil affairs teams since probably about 2011, uh, specifically in Afghanistan. Uh, we're working on uh, re 
provincial reconstruction teams working with them, and that included some civil affairs teams. So it's been since about 2011. And in 2014, when I started, we were working with different teams that were working on the Syrian refugee crisis and then the Syrian crisis that was going on at the time. Okay. And GIS, Geographic Information Systems, um, which is a big area of focus for you, is, I, I think it can be confusing for people. There are a lot of tools for GIS, but let's break it down to its, its basics and then build it back up. So what is GIS generally and um, how does this framework apply to civil affairs? Great. As you said, GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems. So a lot of people equate GIS as maps, uh, but GIS is more than that. It's looking at the relationships between different things in space. So their relationship on the earth and uh, similarities, differences, things like that, and trying to figure out what that all means. So think about it like location intelligence, right? Uh, a simple analogy would be, let's say you want to open a restaurant. You want to understand the best location to place the restaurant, right? And so you want to understand the environment that the restaurant's going to be in, sort of what the population looks like, what other restaurants and competition exists in the area. So how would you place that restaurant? GIS can be used by taking a number of different things like, like the population distribution, maybe, uh, maybe uh, what types of money people have to spend on food in the area. As I mentioned before, the different restaurants that already exist and among those, what really exists as competition, putting that all together in a system and then sort of figuring out, analyzing it, and then seeing where you would best place your restaurant. How that applies to civil affairs teams is very similar to that, but it, it can work on two ends, basically civil affairs teams that are going off on missions or civil affairs teams that are going off on deployment, basically understanding where they're going, what the context looks like physically, the physical geography, the topography, as well as let's say the security climate in the area, administrative divisions that they have to understand. That way they're, they're not you know, crossing into places that they're not supposed to be what the population looks like, maybe the distribution of the population, the density, as well as, let's say, tribal affiliations, because it's important. I mean, civil affairs teams is all about winning the hearts and minds, right? So you have to understand what the population composition is in order to understand where you need to go and who you need to be talking to in order to achieve the mission results that you want, right? Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. Thanks, John. And think about the different layers. If you can create a basic a map of data, could you talk about how you decide what layers to put on what data you would need? For example, do you think civil affairs teams should look at everything? Do you think that they should start at, at what data is the most basic in a geographic information system you know, tool? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one that we face a lot with uh, with different teams and with different requests that we get. We like to call that compilation of all the data that you can get and throw it into a map, a kitchen sink map. You know, you take everything in the kitchen sink and then you throw it in there. Uh, and that can be overwhelming because you, you don't need a lot of that data. So I think it all comes down to understanding what the real objectives are by the team pairing that down to the scope that you're operating within, what you want to achieve out of that, and then, and then sort of building it up from there. So let's say if, it's, uh, if you're going on a mission and you're, uh, you're delivering certain resources, you want to understand what the routes look like, 
what the security environment looks like. Uh, you might want that topography too, to understand, you know, if you're going to be crossing any barriers that exist there, what infrastructure exists in the area that you need to know about. Uh, but you want to exclude everything that you don't need to know about because it, it ends up distracting from the viewpoint that you need to have to be able to achieve that, that mission. Yeah. Thank you. So I think in this, in this less is more, I think. Less is more. Okay. Does the use of different GIS tools require certain software or can people just use these online for free? Uh, again, that's, that's something that, that we face a lot where, so you, there's a plethora of GIS software out there, you know, and, and the pricing can range from, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to, uh, as you mentioned, online open source and fully free. The largest industry leader right now is Esri. Uh, they market the ArcGIS software. Uh, we're, we're a partner of theirs. We use their, uh, their tools a lot, but there's, there's a ton of different other platforms out there, other software out there too. Um, I mean, it's, it's, there's too much to even name here, but on the far end, the open source stuff is, you know, QGIS leads the industry in that, that is fully open source. Uh, it's, it's developed by open source developers and it, it has a lot of functions and capabilities, uh, at Tesla, we're software agnostic. So we try to leverage what works best to answer the questions that our clients have and to be able to supply the best products for them to be able to do their jobs. Uh, that said, you know, civil affairs teams will often be working with whatever they have at their own access based on the contracts that exist. We find a lot of the time that some teams will be underfunded. A lot of teams are actually underfunded. And so they'll be using whatever open source platforms exist. We see Google Earth being used a lot on civil affairs teams. Okay. Uh, you know, I think I think the government should personally support more civil affairs teams, provide them with more money so that they can actually leverage uh, better platforms, but they get the job done, you know, and open yeah. source software gets the job done just as well as commercial software. So it just depends on how you use it and the training that you have. Do you have a sense of the different software platforms that are used across the force, right? The active duty army, reserve army, uh, Marine Corps, other units who are in this civil affairs community. What's your understanding of, of what is used interoperability and, and how confusing that is for everyone? Yeah, yeah. Interoperability is a big one. Uh, there are a plethora of different platforms that are being used. And all these different platforms provide different capabilities that can be leveraged by different teams. So uh, I, I know of, uh, of one platform that uh, that's been used by, I believe it's it's Air Force a lot. Uh, that that is, you know, basically you have the platform installed into a jet, and it gives you everything that you need, all the maps that you need, and then it works in a disconnected environment, and then you can bring the data back and upload it to a GIS so you can use it, right? But you know, does that speak to the other platforms that are being used by civil affairs teams? You know, I don't know. They don't always they don't always uh, have the same types of file types. They don't work well together. There is uh, a consortium called the OGC uh, Open Geospatial Consortium, which which focuses on making sure that data is interoperable. Uh, there's also the uh, bill that was passed in 2018 called the Geospatial Data Act. It was uh, both passed in the House and in the Senate, 
which is trying to get federal agencies, state agencies, tribal agencies to work together and to share their data effectively in a way that they can all consume it, that less redundancy, essentially. There's a lot of teams out there that are basically working with these various platforms, working on similar problem sets. They don't know about each other and they're not necessarily able to share data effectively as well, which is, which is a big problem. And it's not just a problem across civil affairs teams or across the DOD, it's a big problem across you know, the federal government and in the GIS sector as a whole. So, you know, getting back to your question, I think, I think it's important sort of to, to figure out, you know, what civil affairs teams are working with, to know what other teams are working with, and then to try to figure out how to share that data well together. Tesla, I think, does a good job with that. You know, we work on trying to break down those silos and, uh, and make sure that that data is, uh, exchangeable and interoperable and, and, and things like that. But I think it's a real big uphill battle that not only civil affairs teams are facing, but, you know, the, the whole GIS community and, and, you know, all these different agencies are facing as well. It is uh, semi-comforting to hear that we're not alone. <laughs> not great to hear that everyone's <laughs> facing some problem, but uh, yeah, it, it, like people talk about big data and big data are not as useful if you, you can't talk to each other and make sense of how big they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, folks, you've been listening to a, uh, an episode of the 1CA podcast with our guest, John Steed. When we come back, we'll speak about some examples of how CA teams are using GIS tools at the tactical and operational levels and uh, how GIS helps CA teams with pre-deployment planning. We'll be right back. The Civil Affairs Association continues to expand its value to its members. The CA Association Professional Publications Advisory Board comprises scholars and policy and publications experts to assist civil affairs professionals in publishing papers and articles in established professional journals. As a service to association members, the board also provides a research library to conduct research on academic or professional papers. Check out the website to find out which board members may be of greatest help and request their assistance by emailing the board. This is an amazing resource that you won't find in many other associations. If you're not yet a member of the Civil Affairs Association, go online to civilaffairsassoc.org and join today. Hi, and welcome back to the 1CA podcast. And our guest today is Mr. John Steed from Tesla Government. John, I wanted to ask you about some examples of CA teams using GIS tools in the field. What are some examples that you're allowed to share with us today? Uh, I, I've got a number of different examples that I can think of off the top of my head. I'll, I'll start at the operational level, if that's okay. So pre-deployment. So we we often work with a lot of teams. We've worked with a lot of CA teams at, at Fort Bragg in particular, and you know they'll be getting ready to go to a given location abroad, right? And they want to understand the situational context that exists um, where they're going, and so we can help paint a picture sort of, uh, you know, trying to avoid that kitchen sink map, as I mentioned before, but at least helping them understand what the environment is like that they're going to be going into, what the, uh, the population looks like, that composition, et cetera, that they're going to be uh, engaging with, sort of the locations of, let's say, tribes, administrative divisions, understanding those, the topography, et cetera. And we'll provide them with a comprehensive package understanding, whether it be like uh, a, a bunch of interactive maps or some static products that they can actually take with them, like printable maps that they can take with them into the field to really be able to understand where they're operating within. 
And then that'll sort of help them understand sort of what they're getting into, where they're going, who they're engaging with, et cetera. At the tactical level, this is a fun one. Uh, we've worked with a lot of different teams that are doing very, very different things. Uh, I think back to when I started at Tesla, we were working on the, the Syria crisis and we were working with a number of different uh, folks, civil affairs teams, as, uh, as well as folks from Department of State that were looking at bringing aid into Syria, uh, aid and supplies. And they had to figure out how to get from Turkey into Syria. And, you know, back in 2014, you could probably remember everything was in flux. Everything was changing on a daily basis. Uh, areas of control were going, were going back and forth between the Kurds, ISIS, uh, the government, the rebel groups. And so border crossings were, were constantly changing. And so we were looking at the status of the border crossings, whether they were open or closed. Uh, we were looking at events that were taking place at those border crossing areas. We were looking at control of those border crossings because they were changing constantly, like moving hands. And we would you know, provide regular maps for, for different teams that were, uh, that were trying to provide aid to bring that into Syria and let them know sort of what it looked like. You know? And this was all at the fully unclassed level, just sort of helping them out in order to, to understand if they could provide aid to these areas of where they should be going in order to get there. Another one that we worked on a couple of years ago, which was, which was also fun, was we were working with a team that was bringing medical supplies between two different locations in East Africa. And they would take a, a, a road, the same road, you know, every couple months. And they wanted to understand what the security environment looked like. So we would bring in a conflict event data and then overlay it onto the map, you know, that was buffered. You know, I think it was very small buffer, like a kilometer on either side of the road. We had border crossing checkpoints that we would put on that map. Uh, we also had uh, pictures that they would supply to us of, you know, previous trips on the road and then notes. And so we would have pop-ups where they could, you know, click these different pop-ups and basically see, this is what the road looks like, you know, in this area. So this is what we're gonna be encountering when we go there. Uh, you know, we'd also, you know, there was choke points, figuring out where those were. So, so they could be well-prepared when they got there, when they were going down the road, okay, this is coming up, we need to be prepared for it. You know, how do we prepare for it, et cetera. It really helped them out a lot with being able to, to get from point A to point B safely and to get their supplies from point A to point B safely as well. Those are some really good examples. I'm wondering about the accuracy of information that you can get from so far away because I'm living in Phoenix, Arizona, and occasionally I look for a restaurant and the information is just wrong or that place doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> if that's the case in, in Arizona or if that happens to you in Maine, how accurate is some of the data for some country in East Africa or, oh, or yeah. Afghanistan? Yeah, yeah, that's a problem that we face all the time. So, I mean, at, at this point, you're talking about uh, you're talking about sort of the validity of the data, but you're also talking about the source of the data. Where did it come from? So, uh, one of the things that we do at Tesla is we engage with with different groups and we create relationships so that we can develop um, data pipelines. I guess you could say so. People that are actually operating on the ground can be sharing data back so that we can end up leveraging that data to share with other teams to help them with their missions. And that's oftentimes the best data that we can get. 
we also work across the interagency. So we get data from, uh, you know, a number of different groups, you know, whether it be uh, Department of Defense groups, people in the IC, uh, State Department, USAID, you name it. Uh, and that data oftentimes is more well validated than, let's say, fully open source data. Okay. But there is a value to open source data, too, because if you if you don't have any data at all, open source data is better than nothing oftentimes. So uh, we, you know, we have a number of different tools at our disposal where we'll take uh, a bunch of different open source data, such as OpenStreetMaps, uh, NGA GeoNames, things like that. And then we'll, you know, take all that data and then um, deconflate it, you know, and remove, uh, remove points from, let's say, one data set that is duplicative in the other data set. And then we can provide that back. And that's actually let's say infrastructure is a huge hit with civil affairs teams because they're always interested in what infrastructure exists in the places that they're operating. So, so we end up, you know, providing a lot of data that way. And that is open source. So, you know, you, you give it to them with a grain of salt, but, you know, at least, you know, open source data, unvalidated data is better than no data at all. Yeah. And it's really just, it's good to have a start, right? It's good to have, some frame of reference because it's still their job to go on the ground and confirm or deny or reassess, you know, what they had seen when they, before they got there. Oh yeah. And they can oftentimes help, help us validate data that we have so that it can be more valuable for the next person coming along. Yeah. If there was a team that needed to go to some country and they wanted to tap into other parts of the uh, federal government and their GIS data or the intelligence community, how do they even go about knowing who to ask or how to request something? Like, where does this even begin? <laughs> I, that's, that's a really hard question to answer. I mean, that's, that's the nut that we've been working on cracking for years and years, right? And I mean, I can tell you that that goes back to my work in uh, international development and humanitarian aid. When I was working in, in West Africa, you know, we were always trying to find we were always trying to find data to support the work that we were doing with the refugees for the Malian refugee crisis. And it was, it was like, you know, looking for a needle in a haystack. Right. And the other problem was that uh, organizations didn't want to share their data with other organizations because data has power. Right. So unfortunately this exists in this environment as well. But I mean, I, I can tell you one thing, if, uh, if there are teams that are listening to this podcast right now, that are working with the US government, they can definitely reach out to GIS at teslagovernment.com and, and we can help connect them with other teams that, that might be able to help them with uh, the data that they're looking for. That's a great suggestion. Yeah, it's not like uh, a team listening who has a request, they're not the first ones to have gone through this process. So Absolutely. Uh, so John, let me ask you about um, how does GIS help teams with pre-deployment? planning. So we've talked a little about the operational level. Does it help to, in your experience, help to inform teams that like, yeah, this is really the area of focus for us. This is based on the information that we've now received from, from your team at Tesla. This will remain the mission or, oh my gosh, we realized that we need to do a 180 or turn 90 degrees and go over here to focus. So, um, <laughs> well, I don't think we've ever heard anyone say we need to go 180 and change their okay. focus. We've definitely, we've definitely had people come back to us and ask us new questions uh, as a result of, of what we've shared with them. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's always informative, right? You know, uh, it's, it's a learning process. I mean, I think one of the, the big things that's important 
that uh, for civil affairs teams and for other other teams is making sure that there is continuity, you know, from um, from one group to the next group, so that uh, it's it's a constant learning process, right? And that you know what you learn at one point in time for deployment is not lost when you end up leaving, that it carries on to the next team. I think that's that's really important. That's that's sort of a, a step away from your question right there, but but I think it's it's tangentially related to it. Yeah, I, I, I'd say that you know we've never really had that 180, but we've definitely had uh, instances where we have helped with requests for information, pre-deployment planning, and then they've come back and asked new questions as a result of that. And so we've okay. gone in a different direction and, and provided them with more information to help them sort of understand that context that they're entering. What's the lead time like? What, what's this time frame for if a team is going to go out the door six to nine months from now, when should they start speaking with your team to request information? You know, what normally happens? Oh, boy. So it really all depends on the complexity of the request. But, you know, generally our teams try to be really quick and responsive. We try to be as agile as possible. And so we try to do a two-week turnaround for, for pretty much all our requests because we understand the importance of the work that's being done. And the sooner you get information out, the sooner you can get feedback on that information and see if you need to make changes to it, as, as we talked a minute ago. Uh, so I would say, in general, we ask for uh, about a two-week lead time. And, and I would like to caveat there, you know, Tesla government works on a number of different programs. And uh, a lot of these are, you know, are paid for by the federal government already. So we, we do have resources that exist to support civil affairs teams at no cost to those civil affairs teams. That's huge. And, and that leads to um, my final question for you, which is other ways the GIS team at Tesla government helps to support CA teams. If you could provide any of their examples of sure. what those other products and services are. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of those is, as I mentioned already a little bit, is collaboration, making sure that, that various teams that are working on similar problem sets are uh, aware of each other. Uh, and so we, we do regular teleconferences, you know, depending on the region that we're focusing in, we'll do regular teleconferences where those various teams can come together and then sort of talk to each other about what they're working on. And oftentimes they'll be like, oh, you're working on that? We're working on that too. And then, you know, this collaboration ensues, which is, which is really cool to watch. Yeah. Uh, we, we also help out with, you know, sharing data. We don't just create products like, like static products, briefing products, interactive maps, things like that. We also provide the data behind those products because that can then be useful for civil affairs teams who have uh, geospatial analysts who are doing their own work to be able to sort of take it one step further in the direction that they need to go in. Sometimes, you know, we, we operate on the fully young class. Sometimes they need that data so that they can go high side and do something with it. Uh, you know, we also help with, you know, minimal amounts of training for GIS. Uh, we, help, we help various teams sort of understand what they have at their disposal, how they can use it better. For some teams, we provide a platform for them to actually be using so that they can be doing some geospatial analysis uh, on the platform that exists that we have, uh, and they can, they can leverage that for their own production. So those, those are a couple of examples right there. Those are great examples. And if you could repeat again the email for people, if they have requests or something that wants to go to your team, uh, how do they contact you? Sure, thank you. It's GIS at teslagovernment.com. John, I think we've barely scratched the surface about geographic information systems and, um, and how they apply to CA, but this is a really good start to the conversation. 
And I hope to come back to you maybe several months from now and we'll go through some more examples and, and build on this conversation. But uh, for all the listeners, um, this was a, uh, an interview with John Steed, who's the Director of Geospatial Services for Tesla Government. John, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.